Zen nicotine pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime, which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zinn.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unk, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unk podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unk, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's program possible. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. Amazing. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, your exercise, and medication decisions. All those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and a lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Thanks, Dexcom, for being our partner. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Did you know a recent law can leave your personal data exposed online for anybody to find? If you've turned on the news lately, you know the Internet has created a dangerous new world. It's time you take back the power by using a new website called Truthfinder. Have you been issued a speeding ticket? Received a lien from the IRS? Did you forget about an embarrassing social media profile? That info may already be online. Truthfinder can help you find it. Truthfinder searches millions of public records, assembling the data together in one report. Members get unlimited searches, so you can also look up those close to you and make sure they're not hiding something. Visit truthfinder.com nancy. Enter your own name. Get started. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph, Channel 132. A five-year-old little boy, Lucas Hernandez, goes missing while his dad is out of town working. Then months pass and the search becomes desperate. Volunteers, ATVs, horseback, volunteers, ATVs, horseback, police, tracker dogs. No one can find little Lucas until 
a private eye, David Marshburn, tricks stepmommy Elizabeth Glass into getting into his car. They drive for hours until she ultimately leads him to little Lucas's body found in a washed-out culvert in an erosion pan. I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories. Thank you for being with us. In the last hours, we learn of another bizarre twist. The dad, Jonathan Hernandez, right now in the intensive care unit at a local hospital. Why? This after stepmommy autopsy reveals she commits suicide. The story becomes more and more convoluted with so many twists and turns. It's hard to keep up. We are going for the very latest in the condition of Jonathan Hernandez, Lucas's dad. Right now, we have just obtained the 911 calls. Do they reveal what happened to little Lucas as well as to Emily Glass? Take a listen. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What's the location of the emergency? I was like, my son. My son's gone. He's not in there. Where's your son at? I don't know. He's gone? He's gone. When did he leave? I don't know. I don't know. I just woke up for the long nap and he's not in the room. How old is he? And the front door was open. It wasn't long. So it was a long song when he's five. He's gone here. Ma'am? Oh, my God. Ma'am, how old is your son? Okay, I, I, I'm breaking in just one moment. With me is Susan Constantine, body and verbal language expert. 
Ashley Wilcott, juvenile judge, lawyer, and founder of ChildCrimeWatch.com, and Vincent Hill, private investigator, former Nashville PD. Everybody, thank you for being with us. I want to get right into it. To Susan Constantine, you know, the more I listen to Emily Glass on this 911 call, the more, actually, the more questions I have. Uh, and I'm actually, I'm going to get to you and Vincent in one moment because I want to talk about the impact of a 911 call at trial, which I would love to kick off a trial with a 911 call because it takes jury straight to the moment as it's happening. So, Susan Constantine, I, I'm just overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed listening to Emily Glass and all the gasping and <gasps> the hyperventilating and the, the, the fake crying. She knows exactly where Lucas is because she put him in the washed-out culvert. She put his tiny little body there. Time passes. We don't know how many days have passed. And then she fakes this 911 call. Now, I'm no expert. You're the expert, Susan Constantine. I want to hear what you have to say. I'm just going on the facts that I know. Yeah, you're a very good observation, Nancy. First of all, if you listen to her voice at the very beginning, she becomes very angry with the 911 caller. So anger is not an, an emotion that we would hear from someone that is concerned about that their child is missing. You know, her, her gasping, you're right. It's very overacting. It's un, in performance. One of the things that I found really quite revealing was, is when the 911 caller asked her, how old is your son? She says he was five years old. That's that point 45 seconds of that interview. So she had already viewed him as dead. So when you're listening to this, she's pushing out her cry. She's forcing this, this um, gasping response. And it's very revealing that she is actually in performance. Wow. A performance of a lifetime, Ashley Wilcott. You are not kidding, Nancy. And let me tell you, what you just said is so true. When you have a jury trial and you start with the 911 call, not only does it take you to that exact moment, it pulls the jury in emotionally. And so in this case, can you imagine if they heard her and everything you've just described and then were to learn if she were being tried that wait a second she was actually involved in this child was murdered very impactful yeah i mean vincent hill i'm going on what ashley wilcott and susan constantine have just said vincent hill former nashville pd now private eye vincent this proves when you are looking at somebody and you're listening to them give a statement or their testimony you really have to analyze it. you got to take it with not a grain or a pinch, but a box of salt. Because if I didn't know better, you know, this woman could, could, could really give Meryl Streep a run for her money for the next Oscar nomination. The acting and the crying and the fake hyperventilating on the 911 call, Vincent. I mean, how do you determine when a witness is telling the truth? Well, you, you hit the nail on the head, Nancy. And to an untrained ear, it would sound sincere this 911 call but we've all said that this was an overacting job and the one thing that i picked up on this entire time she kept saying i woke up from a long nap but she never once said i went out to look for little lucas Ooh. so she already knew he was gone and he was likely deceased at that point man that's a good catch vincent hill she never did okay alan could you roll some more of that 911 call i'm trying to glean any facts that i i can 
Okay, when was the last time you saw him? Around like three o'clock. Okay. <laughs> and you're at he was at home? Yes, ma'am. Okay. All right. And what color is his hair? It's brown. Short or long? It's short. Okay. Was he wearing he anything else? A hat or anything? Uh -uh. He had um he had white socks on and he had okay. a pull up on because we were we were taking a nap and so what do you mean a pull up? Uh, a pull up for uh for nighttime you know. Okay, what color was that? Um, white and blue. White and blue. <laughs> he has brown eyes and okay. really really long eyelashes. Okay. And um I don't know. Just hang in there, okay? <laughs> Is he the only one missing? <laughs> okay, did you see any suspicious people in the area? Um, Around no. Okay. I mean, I mean, no, there was some... Like people hanging out in the corner of my house, but I don't think So there were some suspicious people on the corner? I don't know. I don't think that would have to do anything with it, but you just never know in this neighborhood. It doesn't scared. Okay. Where is he? We know a lot of the facts. With me, Susan Constantine, body and verbal language expert, Ashley Wilcott, juvenile judge, lawyer, and founder of ChildCrimeWatch.com, <coughs> and former cop turned private eye, Vincent Hill. Ashley, we know that she later tries to blame a, quote, homeless guy she claims she brings into the home who they then infer kills or takes baby Lucas, but when dispatch asks her point blank about strange or suspicious people in the area, she does not name him. That's right. She lies, 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 frontwards, backwards, every direction, and, and she's just making stuff up. Now, the one thing I wonder, Nancy, you know, she does keep saying in the 911 call, he's gone, he's gone. And so I'm not a language expert, but I wonder if that's at all. She's panicked and hyperventilating because she knows he's gone, i.e. dead, and she doesn't want to get caught. You know, another issue I'm suspicious about, actually, she said a homeless man and referred to a woman being involved somehow in Lucas's disappearance. But when you listen to this 911 call and she's asked specifically by dispatch about suspicious people in the area, she doesn't mention either of them. That story only pops up well after uh, the search is on for Lucas. Another thing that strikes me, Susan Constantine, body and verbal language expert, Man, she's got the lies down to a T, to the details, even describing his pull-up. Yeah, it's overly descriptive. Most people in those situations don't real, don't remember those very high-level details. They just remember things that just kind of occurred. So the fact that they kind of go back and then they, they redo that statement 
and then they start adding all these little details, then they're trying to appeal to the person that they're actually speaking to to make it sound more logical. But the one thing that I wanted to make a point to is remember, Nancy, I've talked about that number three. 48% of all deceptive statements reference a three o'clock or 3.30 time frame in their statements. And again, she says that she saw him last around three o'clock. You know, uh, to Vincent Hill, private investigator, I know that sounds like, oh, what's your lucky number? Or read the numbers or numerology, and I don't put a whole lot of stock into that. But statistically, Susan is right. She has looked at thousands of statements and fact situations, and there are certain numbers that people fall back on. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because for all those years they got out of school at 3 o'clock. Or I, 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 I don't know. I'm guessing, and I don't have the expertise to do that. But she is right about that, Vincent. Susan's absolutely right, I, and I think that's the default number. And to your point, Nancy, maybe it is because we get out of school at 3 o'clock or people get off work at 3 o'clock. So it just becomes this common number that we, we call out during these times. But one thing I noticed if you listen really closely in this call, there's another child in the background, and you can even hear the dispatcher say, is he the only one missing? But what's important is that child is very calm in how they're acting. And if this child was watching their parent crying and being hysterical, automatically the child would be. So that goes back to this was probably a huge acting job by Emily Glass during this 911 call. Okay. I put a movie on for him and I took a shower really quick and uh, he was asleep when I went and checked back on him so okay. me and his little sister took a nap and okay. in my room <laughs> okay so you went to check on him and then you went to go take a nap and he's not there anymore correct? No, okay, it's it's okay. Do you have do you know if he left with anything else? Was there any pets missing or anything? We don't have any pets. And okay. his shoes are here and his coat is here. His shoes and coat are in there? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Oh Has he ever wandered off before? No. Okay. No, it was There you hear Emily Glass when she's pointedly asked by 911 dispatch. Then she goes, oh, I looked at the neighbors and I looked all around the house. The fake crying, the fake moaning, the fake hyperventilating. When all the while, we know she is the one that disposed of five-year-old Lucas's body. At this hour, we learn the distressing news that Lucas's dad is in ICU at the hospital. 
There's a brand new website causing a lot of trouble for people with something to hide. Have you ever had a bad feeling about somebody? Maybe suspected your partner's cheating? Maybe worried about your online reputation? If you answer yes to any of those questions, you may need Truthfinder. Public records are only recently easily available online. Before websites like Truthfinder, you'd most likely have to visit a courthouse to get that information. Now, it's as simple as entering a name. Truthfinder sifts through millions of public records from all over the country, assembling them into one easy-to-read report. Search the names of somebody you know. You could find criminal and arrest records, bankruptcies, contact information, social, dating profiles, financial assets, and a lot more. Why fork out thousands to a private investigator when you can do the job yourself? Everybody you know has something to hide. Now you can root out the most dangerous people before you become the next victim. It's not just used to bust bad people. Truthfinder helps Americans reunite with friends, family, even people who served with them in the military. It's never been so easy to find the truth. Go to truthfinder.com slash Nancy and enter any name to get started. At this hour, we are learning that Lucas's father, the only person left alive in the scenario, is in the intensive care unit at the local hospital. We have also obtained his 911 call when he comes back to his home and he finds Emily Glass dead from a lethal shotgun wound. Listen. Okay, tell me exactly what happened. Oh, it's the first time I've been home in like three weeks. Uh, my fiance has been staying here. Mm-hmm. And I had nowhere else to go tonight, so I asked her, hey, are you awake, et cetera, and she didn't answer, so I came home, and it's so bad. It's so bad. What happened? I, I saw my rifle okay, did she, so did at she her shoot feet. Herself? At her feet. Okay. Yes, I think so. I think so. Her her brain is laying on the carpet, and her okay. head is split wide open. Okay. Where is where's the gun at now? It it's at her feet. Okay. And you said it's a rifle. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Have you seen any other weapons? No, ma'am. Okay. I I have a shotgun in the closet. If it's still there, I haven't even checked. But there was only my rifle that it looks like she got out of the case. Okay. And is anyone else injured that you know of? No, ma'am. You are hearing Jonathan Hernandez on his 911 call when he discovers his fiance, Emily Glass, Luke's stepmother, dead in his home. Joining me, Lee Egan, CrimeOnline.com, investigative reporter, Susan Constantine, Ashley Wilcott, and Vincent Hill. Susan Constantine, what do you make of Jonathan's words on 911? Well, first of all, he takes too much time to lead up to what happened. The 911 operator said, what happened? And then he he's pauses, he's like he's exhausted, and then he uses what, Nancy? Again, I've been gone for about 
three weeks. And then he, you know, the lead up to what happened is too long. So there is a, there's science behind this take about 25% of the story should be the lead up. 50% of the body of the story and 25% of the end. But if you listen to his story, he's got 50% of it's the lead up of when he's walking in the door. So he's very emotionally disconnected. And he also gives you reason why he wasn't there. He said, I had nowhere else to go. And then um, he uses the word, et cetera. Et cetera is where you're leaving out information. Remember, later, later on, meanwhile, sometime thereafter, he's not giving us all the information what led up to the reason why he was there. To Ashley Wilcott, juvenile judge, lawyer, founder, childcrimewatch.com, what do you make of it? There's just too much that I question about the father. Obviously, I feel for him, grieve his loss, all of those things. But, Nancy, something doesn't add up to me. And we do have reports from relatives that there have been bruises on Lucas before his death and signs of abuse. And I just believe that the father knew more than he's letting on to. I noticed that he refers to her still as my fiance and that he had nowhere else to go that night and apparently was going there to stay. His fiance, Emily Glass, Lucas's stepmother, staying in the home. Joining me right now, Lee Egan. Lee, what can you tell me about the latest regarding Jonathan Hernandez in the ICU? What's happening? Shortly after Lucas's memorial on Saturday, he started having breathing problems and he couldn't swallow. I spoke to his mother, Cindy, and she said that he went to the ER Saturday evening. They thought it might have been tonsillitis, but they gave him something, sent him home, and by 3 a.m., the, the pain had gotten much worse. So he went back in, and they, they checked him into the hospital at that time, and they're doing a CT scan to figure out what's going on. He's still in a lot of pain. He's still there. He can't breathe. He's having trouble eating, and they really don't know at this point. It's going, to, it's going to be determined after they get the test back. You know, I, I'm just overwhelmed with what he has been through. To Vincent Hill, private investigator, former Nashville PD, what do you make of his 911 call? I noticed he was extremely deliberate with his speech. And on the several times that he's spoken with us, and you've been with me, Vincent, he was very calm and very deliberate. And at first it threw me off a little bit because he's talking about su such uh, emotional and upsetting topics. The disappearance of his son, five-year-old Lucas, Lucas's death, his battle to get custody of his one-year-old daughter who was you know, taken away during all this. Um, he, of course, was out of town when all of this happened, just trying to make a living. Then the discovery of Emily Glass dead in his home. I, I just think it's been too much for him, Vincent. Yeah, it's definitely been a lot for anyone to take in, Nancy. But uh, going back to what Susan said in this 911 call, there was a lot of buildup to what happened. And again, when you're listening to these calls, and as an expert, you would expect that to come out first and not pointing fingers at Jonathan by any means, but I'm sure people will question because he said things like she had my rifle, which could explain why his DNA would be on it if this was investigated a different way. So there's a, a lot going on here. Again, not pointing fingers to Jonathan, but the 911 call did seem a little calm, a little deliberate, 
less than what you would expect if you just found your fiance with her brains blown out on the floor. I want to listen again to what I can learn from this 911 call from Jonathan Hernandez. Listen. Tell me exactly what happened. Oh, it's the first time I've been home in like three weeks. Uh, my fiance has been staying here. Mm-hmm. And I had nowhere else to go tonight, so I asked her, hey, are you awake? Etc. And she didn't answer, so I came home. And it's so bad. It's so bad. What happened? I, I saw my rifle. Okay, did she? So did at she her shoot feet, herself? At her feet. Okay. Yes, I think so. I think so. Her her brain is laying on the carpet and her okay. head is split wide open. Okay. Where is where's the gun at now? It it's at her feet. Okay. And you said it's a rifle? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Have you seen any other weapons? No, ma'am. Okay. I, I have a shotgun in the closet. If it's still there, I haven't even checked. But there was only my rifle that it looks like she got out of the case. Okay. And is anyone else injured that you know of? No, ma'am. You know, his demeanor, Susan Constantine, mm -hmm. is very similar to every time we spoke to him. So that is his natural demeanor. I think the guy's just been through too much. Susan, what do you make of his demeanor? Well, I think that you're right, Nancy, in part, is that, you know, we do look at norm or baseline behaviors. How do they normally sound? But there's other information that he's not giving us. He's, he's leaving out stuff that's really important, you know, like et cetera. What is, why does a person use et cetera? They use it because they're leaving out things that are leading up to what happened. All I'm saying is that there's something that occurred from the time he got the call to when he got there. So there was something that occurred between the two of them before they got there. His, his demeanor is very flat. He's got a very flat affect, but it never changes. Even when he's talking about his brain laying out, her brain laying on the floor. It's just very odd, even though that is his baseline behavior. To Alan, do you, Alan, I know you recall when we spoke to Jonathan and everything he told us corroborates what he says in that 911 call. A lot of people have laying blame at him at his feet. They have suggested he was part of Lucas's disappearance, which I do not believe. They have suggested he's responsible for Emily, Emily's death, which I do not believe based on the autopsy findings. Some of her friends have joined us and they have suggested he or someone else was responsible, even a Wiccan plot, uh, Wicca, witchcraft. Okay, almost too fantastical to take in. But I want you guys to listen to what Jonathan told us as compared to the 911 call. Listen. The lights were on and the TV was on and it looked like, you know, somebody was there. And I go to the bedroom and she's not there, so... I go out to the garage and check to see if a car was there. Thought maybe she wasn't staying there, maybe had left for something. And her car was there in the garage. So I went back inside and did a more thorough room-by-room -room search. And that's when I found her in the back room. When you found her, was she dressed? Was she lying in bed? 
what was the condition of her body? She was dressed. It looked like she had pajamas on. At first, did you believe she was just asleep? No, I did not. I, I, I thought it was a dream. I wasn't sure what was happening at first. Why are you convinced, Jonathan, Emily killed herself? Um, just, just the way everything looked. Um, it, it looked like she had thought about it. She got my gun case out of my closet and took it into that back room with her and then opened the gun case there. And the gun was laying next to her. And she had, it looked like she had smoked three or four cigarettes that were on the, on the floor by her feet. So, you know, maybe she had thought about it for a little while anyways before she did it. Again, everything Jonathan Hernandez has told us in the past is corroborated by this newly obtained 911 call. This is what he tells me regarding the crime scene itself when he finds Emily Glass dead in her home. There were actually three suicide notes. Listen to what Lucas's dad, Jonathan, tells us about the discovery of those suicide notes. Where were they? I honestly don't know. They didn't. They didn't tell me where they were. And as far as two of them, they haven't told me what's in them, except for um, the third one. They did tell me was rolled up and stuck inside of her engagement ring, and it said to um, give our daughter the ring when she gets older. With me, Susan Constantine, Ashley Wilcott, and Vincent Hill. Also with me, CrimeOnline.com investigative reporter Lee Egan. Lee, I find it very difficult to believe a simple breathing problem lands Jonathan Hernandez in ICU, and he's still in there. Well, I think it's a bit more than just a breathing problem. His mother said that there could be like some kind of lesions or an abscess on his esophagus. They, again, they don't know for sure until these tests are done, but it was enough to where when he went back the second time, they they checked him in there. To Ashley okay. Wilcott, Ashley, I, I'm wondering, armchair diagnosing here, when you have, they've confirmed it's an esophageal issue, we think. When you have incredible stress, very often your esophagus clamps up and it feels like a heart attack. And people actually have to lay down prone because the pain is so intense. And it's often mistaken for a heart attack. I mean, Ashley, after all this dad has been through, the suggestion, as you pointed out, that Emily Glass had been mistreating and abusing the child all this time when he was away working, I guess, on an oil rig type situation, and leaving his son with her, he did not see it. He did not realize what was happening, according to him. Then the son missing. He's looking for the son for three months, trying to find him, only to find out his body has been found. And then his fiance commits suicide. I mean, that guy has been through hell and back. 
arguably one person can only take so much and he's full up of what he's had to take. The other thing, Nancy, is to remember when you interviewed him one time, he did say the other piece of this that was so hard is that people are actually angry at him and contacting him and won't leave him alone because, of course, all of America wants to tell him, you know, what they think about his actions or lack of actions. So I think that's one more additional stress that was added to all of the rest of this. I guess part of it, Vincent Hill, I mean, he is the father of Lucas. So ultimately, it is at his feet what happened to Lucas because you're supposed to be taking care of your child. But I've just got to say the man's out of town trying to make a living to support everybody. When this occurs, I don't I don't see how he could be responsible. The sad part, Nancy, is he entrusted Lucas with Emily, as many of us as parents do, me being a single father, sometimes I have to entrust my son with someone while I'm out making a living. So we can't lay that blame at Jonathan's feet that this happened to Lucas because he thought his fiance would assume that role of protecting Lucas. Susan Constantine, body and verbal language expert, he has the same methodical uh, tone of voice every time we hear him. And I, I, I just don't know how he controls all that stress. Well, it sounds like to me that he holds it in, and that's probably why we're seeing the reason why he's in the hospital, because you can only retain that so much. Remember, we talked about all that anxiety being uh, held inside, that it's like a teapot. Once it gets to the certain temperature, it starts to boil, and it starts to boil over. So I think that's what we're seeing here. Take a listen to the memorial for Lucas Hernandez held in the last days. I'd like to share a letter inspired by the many volunteers who've been forever changed by Lucas. Lucas Hernandez, that's a name many of us heard for the first time on a cold February day as the sun slowly sank and darkness fell. The moment we first heard his name, we realized that the worst fears of any parent were coming true. A child was missing out in the dark, alone, cold and afraid. We didn't know him yet, yet the community drew in a tense breath filled with fear and anxiety, and we would not exhale for the next 97 days. In the beginning, Lucas was simply a missing child. We did not know him. We had never heard the sound of his voice or witnessed his sweet giggle. We didn't know the struggles that he had faced when he came into this world, small and sick. We didn't know about his cherished mother and his idolized father. We didn't know about the precious moments he spent with the family whom adored and loved him. All those things came later, graciously gifted to us by those who knew him best. Joining me right now, a name you all know or should know, Riley Sager. Awesome, awesome book coming out. The last time I lied. Oh, my goodness. Okay, that's conjuring up all sorts of images for me, Riley. (laughs) Now, it seems like I was just talking to you about Final Girls, which was awesome. Tell me about the last time I lied. Oh, first of all, what I need to know is can I get it immediately? I'm all about instant gratification. Can I get it on Amazon? That's my first question. Uh, Yes, it is available today wherever books are sold. All right. Now, that's important to me because, you know, the school, the twins go to it. They pile them up with reading. And honestly, to go to the bookstore, don't get mad at me because I'm all about the traditional bookstore, brick and mortar. I'm down with it. 
But for their purposes, it's easier for me to just carry around an iPad and download it on Kindle. <laughs> so you've made me very happy that I can get The Last Time I Lied. Yes, that's the title of his brand new book on Amazon. Okay, now hold on. And this is not an ad for Amazon. I wouldn't know them if they bit me on the neck. I'm all about the book, The Last Time I Lied. Okay, it's out today, first day. Tell me... It better be a thriller, Riley. Oh, it is a thriller. Oh, yeah. If there's not a dead body and I'm not thrilled, then I don't want it. <laughs> Forget a romance. Tell me this is not a romance, is it? There, There is a little bit of romance, but... Oh, dear Lord in heaven. What is, is all you can think about is sex? <laughs> really? Okay, when there's a dead body, I have this fight all the time about Haley Dean because I have um, a team. I come up with ideas for my character, Haley Dean, and they always want her, you know, getting more involved with a man. I'm like, what is it with you people? Is that all that's on your mind? So you threw in some romance. Okay. I hope it's, you know, it's a, a, an appropriate amount of romance. And and he's suspicious, too, so it might not be completely romantic. I want the thrill, Riley. Tell me. Okay. So the book is about a woman named Emma Davis. And 15 years ago, she went to an exclusive all-girls summer camp. And well, hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. All Lucy and John Davis' friends want them to go to summer camp. I'm like, H-E-L-L, no. What, do I want them dead or molested? Forget it. <laughs> They're staying right here with me, and we're staring you, you at the TV. Me. Yeah, after okay, reading this now, book. Now, hold on. How old is Emma when she goes to summer camp? She is 13. Hmm. Okay, that's a little bit better. Okay, go ahead. I was about to accuse you of being a bad dad, <laughs> although this is a fictional character I'm getting mad about. Okay, go ahead. Emma goes to camp. What happens? Um, three of her cabin mates um, leave the cabin in the middle of the night, and the last one out the door shushes her and says, you're too young for this, M." and they're never seen again. <gasps> I'm getting chills. Okay, just so you know, I was a camp counselor at Rock Eagle National 4-H camp. Oh, were you? Where I was a hike master all day long. I took children on hikes, and you you just scared me. The thought of three of them getting out and never being seen alive again. So, and now, 15 years later, she's invited back to that same camp to teach art because she's an up-and-coming artist. And she decides to go and figure out try to find out what happened to her friends. You actually gave me chill bumps just then. Okay, so they leave. Emma stays behind. Whatever you do, don't give away the ending because I will never, ever forgive you. My husband is the worst. We can't watch a movie without him blurting it out, usually because he's seen it before, not because he sleuthed it, okay? And even the twins, they're 10. Before we watch any movie, they're like, Dad, do not speak, okay? Don't. Don't give it away. Oh, I won't. So they leave. It's in the middle of the night. I'm scaring myself. Then what happens? Um, no one. They've never been found. So 15 years later, later Emma returns to the camp as a, a, a painting instructor. And her real reason is to try to figure out what happened to her friends. And when she gets there, she realizes that Everything about that camp might not quite be what it seems. You mean Camp Nightingale? I mean, do you think maybe you should have given it a creepier name than Nightingale? Like Camp Freaky? Oh, but names can be deceiving. Looks can be deceiving. You can't trust anyone. <laughs> I love it. 
Okay, go ahead. So she goes back to Camp Freaky, excuse me, Camp Nightingale, and what happens? And as a painting instructor. But wait a minute. During the years between age 13 and she turns into a young adult, what happens then? Well, she's haunted by between the... Between that in that time. Do we know? She's haunted by the past. Those friends mentally haunt her. She wants to know what happened to him, what happened to them, and this is... What do you mean by haunted? They come to her in dreams. She wakes up in the night screaming. She's sweaty. She, what? Tell me, clammy. She might have had some mental problems after the disappearance. Mm, Well, I guess so. And some of them might return to her as hallucinations, or they might be ghosts. You never know. Wait a minute. Let me ask you something. Yes. Where are you from, Riley Sager, that you don't believe in ghosts? I am from the middle. Let me guess. New York City? No, Pennsylvania. What part, please? Um, it's a ti- the tiniest county in the state, Montour County. I lived in Philly for a while with my sister when she was a professor at Wharton for a brief time after my fiancé was murdered. And so I know the Philly area pretty well. Um, now, where is this? This is pretty much in the middle of the... Oh, very rural. Nice. Yeah, I grew up surrounded by fields and forests. Me too, soybean fields and tall pine trees. So we don't know exactly why she's hallucinating or she's having dreams or are they for real ghosts begging her to help find them. Exactly. So that night when the girls leave, they're also 13, I take it? No, they're older girls. Older? Yeah. As in 15, 16, 17? 15, 16. And she has no idea where they were going. No. Did she try to go along? That would be spoiling things. <laughs> oh, I can't spoil okay. things All right. for you. Don't, don't spoil it. Don't, don't you dare, because I will never forgive you. Now, you ca- you've just come off the success of Final Girls. Final Girls, for those of you, you know what? I'll let you tell it before I go on and on about fi- You tell about Final Girls, because it's a huge oh, bestseller. Fi- Final Girls was about... Um, a group of victims of horrible horror movie-like massacres. And there are three of them, and they get all this attention in the press. And um, when one of them dies under mysterious circumstances, the other two sort of meet up, and things get really suspenseful and scary from there. (laughs) Well, each one of the girls survives a horror, and suddenly they realize somebody wants them dead. They were the victims of three separate tragedies, okay? The only way that they're bound together is what they went through, the similar trauma of having been through that. Right. Well, Riley, question to you. Where do you get the ideas about torturing young girls? I can't help but ask. (laughs) Well, I don't see it as torturing young girls. I see it as showing their empowerment. Empowerment with basically a serial murder uh, in the background. Uh, well, in the three final girls, of course, they were the, the, the tragedies were separated. Right. But how do these ideas come to you? I'm inspired there's by... There's nobody missing in your apartment complex, <laughs> is there? No, there's not. Not that I... If there is, I didn't do it. Alan, get on it. I swear. <laughs> Wait, wait a minute, let me, let me get this straight. The ideas just, quote, come to you, because if I had you on cross-examination, so much like the dream O.J. Simpson had, <laughs> the ideas just come to you. Hmm, what 
a phenomena ominous as if you're clairvoyant, Riley Sager. When do the ideas come to you? Are you asleep and you wake up? Are you driving down the road? What? Um, part of my writing process is really just I allow myself thinking time where I just sit in a comfy chair with a cup of coffee and a pen and paper and just think about what fascinates me, what do I want to spend a year writing, what, what, I, what could make a really interesting, suspenseful book. And with The Last Time I Lied, one of the things that inspired me was it's a, it's a classic movie from Australia called Picnic at Hanging Rock. And it's about girls at an all-girls school in the outback who go to um, a place called Hanging Rock and they vanish. And there are no answers. The movie doesn't tell you what happened to them. Riley Sager, you're freaking me out just a tiny bit. Are you sure nobody's missing, no one is missing. in your apartment complex? You know, I can find out, Riley. You might as well tell me the Should truth. I put my neighbor on the phone? No, because how do I know that's the neighbor? <laughs> how do I know that's your neighbor, not somebody bound and gagged in your basement? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so you're telling me, Alan, check it out, make sure nobody's missing in his apartment complex. So how long did it take you to write The Last Time I Lied? It was about a year. In between finishing Final Girls and the publication of Final Girls, I had a lot of time to work on my next book, and I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what kind of creepy things are happening at this creepy camp in the middle of the forest? Well, there goes the children's, my children's chance at going to camp next summer. That is just not going to happen, and certainly not to Camp Nightingale. Uh-uh. So, question to yeah, you. I, I apologize to them because you will not be sending them to camp after reading <laughs> this book. will not be going to camp anytime soon. Let me ask you a question. So, we have Emma in this, last time I lied, and Quincy... And final girls, are they different? Do you do they have the same type of personality? And how did no, you create that personality? Well, I like to look at what happened to them in the past, these traumatic events, and see how they shaped them. For Emma, she's a painter, and one of the things she does is she paints the girls who went missing from her cabin. That's the first thing she paints on her canvases. And then she covers them up with abstract views of forest and lakes and trees. And that's sort of her way of sort of trying to process her grief and this feeling of guilt that she has about their disappearance and not knowing what happened to them. The book is really all about what does a person do when they don't have answers and at what lengths will they go to to find those answers? And the main crux then for Emma is getting answers about what happened to her friends that night, no matter the cost. Riley Sager, author of bestseller Final Girls, new blockbuster coming out today, the last time I lied. Riley Sager, I mean this in the most complimentary fashion. You are one freaky dude, man. <laughs> and I cannot wait to read this book. And you have to promise me something. Yes. That you will join me 
when your next book comes out because I'm sure it'll be even freakier. Oh, I'm, I'm working on it now and I'm trying. I'm really trying. But right now, let me log on to Amazon right now and get The Last Time I Lied. Nancy Grace, Crime Stories, signing off. Goodbye, friend. There's a brand new website causing a lot of trouble for people with something to hide. Have you ever had a bad feeling about somebody, suspected a partner of cheating, worried about your online reputation? If you answer yes to any of those questions, you may need Truthfinder. Truthfinder may reveal court records, bankruptcies, contact information, social, dating profiles, assets, and a lot more. You get it all in one easy-to-read report. Why fork out thousands of dollars to a private eye when you can do the job yourself? Go to truthfinder.com slash nancy and enter any name to get started. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. The journey to a smoke-free future can be a long and winding road. But if you're ready for a change, consider taking Zinn for a spin. Zinn nicotine pouches offer a fresh way to discover your nicotine satisfaction. Anywhere, anytime. No smoke, no spit, and no lingering odor. Get in gear with the Zen 10 Challenge and enjoy 10 smoke-free, spit-free days for just $5.95. Order online and start your new journey today. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Pause for a big thank you to our partner making today's crime stories possible. It's Lisa Mattress, a collaboration between Lisa and West Elm. The natural hybrid is made from natural latex, natural wool, and environmentally safe foams. The natural hybrid elevates your sleep and supports. Go to lisa.com forward slash nancy to learn more. That's L-E-E-S-A dot com forward slash nancy.